I hated school. No, it's true. I, I, I did. Um, when I was in high school, you, you would get all of these textbooks and load them in your backpack, and the thing would weigh like 50 pounds. You lug this thing around, you're going to all these different classes and collecting homework, mountains of homework, worksheets, fill in the blank, math problems, <laughs> history questions, reading, novels, all of this stuff, and you come home with an even more full backpack and a pile of sheets that you had to fill out and stuff that basically I didn't want to do. And so throughout the day, I would go through high school basically at, you know, even 9.30 in the morning saying, I'm sick of this, I'm tired, they get me for seven hours a day, and now I have to go home and do more for them. Gosh! I don't want to do this. So I hated school. And one of the things I had to uh, decide was how am I going to deal with that pile of work that I don't want to do and that I resent having? How am I going to confront that and deal with that so that I can still have time to do the things that I want to do after school? I learned about work at school. And what I've learned since then is that work does not get any better. It is still looking at a pile of things that looks too big to get through. It is stressful. And when you look at that pile and you look at how much has to get done within a very limited amount of time on very few resources, you look at it and you just get stressed out. You say, I want out of this. I'm tired of this. And then there's the institution that you have to deal with in order to get your work done. You've got to deal with your bosses. You've got to deal with your colleagues and work teams and all of these things. And it's a pain. And that is stressful. It's all very unrewarding. And so we are tackling this subject this month. Why? Do we work? Why is work valuable? Is it valuable? Does God value the work that we do when it seems like we're just pushing things around and doing meaningless stuff? Putting out fires, meetings after meeting after meeting, dealing with personalities we don't want to deal with, all of these things that we confront at work too much to do, too little time, too few resources, stressed out. Does it matter to God that we work? And how should we go about all of that? We're going to look at the issue of work this month, asking this question, why work? Why do this? And uh, why endure the stress of it? How can we do the work that we, that we have in a way that is not stressful? How can we engage that stress, reduce it, and uh, actually turn it into something that is productive for us as people? Um, 
we are asking this question from the point of view of wisdom because what we're really doing all through these last number of months is studying the book of Proverbs on a number of different topics and we're studying wisdom. And so if we're going to deal with this question of why do we work and how should we work, we're going to need wisdom in order to settle those kinds of things. We need wisdom in how to deal with stress and wisdom to know what are God's purposes for all of this. Let's think about wisdom and just review some of the things we've seen. Excuse me, I'm recovering from a cold. Um, Sorry about that. So what is wisdom? As we've seen a couple of months ago, Wisdom has habits, habits of mind that Proverbs describes as virtues. So when we approach life, we build these habits of mind. For example, prudence. We look ahead and we make a habit of looking down the road and asking what's going to be needed down there in the future and how can I work toward that future while I still have time. Prudence is one of many virtues that wisdom has. And with those virtues, we look at our roles in situations. I've got a job to do. I have a role here. I'm a son or a daughter in this situation. In this other situation, I'm a father or a mother. I'm a boss over here. I'm an employee over here. I'm a leader in this situation. I'm a follower in this other situation. So we look with our virtues, our habits of mind. We look at our roles and we just ask, what am I supposed to be doing right here, right now? And the answers that wisdom gives us tell us what we owe in any given situation that we're in. What do I as a son owe to my father? my grandfather, what as a boss in this situation do I owe my employees? Well, wisdom gives us all these answers. If we want to know why we should work and how we should work and how we should deal with the stresses of work, we need to know what is our role and what do we owe And so these are some of the things we're going to be talking about over the next five weeks. This series will end on Labor Day. That was a total accident. Um, But it'll just kind of drive home the whole message here. We're looking here at Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 11. The first thing we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at folly. Then we're going to look at wisdom. And we're going to make some evaluations of our own hearts Bottom line this morning, through work, God challenges our hearts. And by engaging in work and the reason he has us in positions where we have to work is so that our hearts will soften and change toward him. We're going to see that this morning. Proverbs 6 Verse 6, let's look at folly. Go to the ant, O sluggard. One of the funny words of the Bible, very old word, and um, 
I loved uh, actually the discontinuity of this morning worshiping the Lord, being aware of his greatness, his goodness, and his grace toward us. And then Paul comes up, as he often has to do, and reads this scripture passage that just really comes out of left field and is very not PC. Hey, sluggard, listen up. Go to the ant. You need an example to think about. So here we have this insulting word, sluggard. It's even kind of a comical and ugly word in and of itself, and it represents, refers to a comical and ugly character in the book of Proverbs. This character is everywhere in this book. This is a lazy person, slothful person. And uh, Solomon, writing this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has apparently, not apparently, just simply has no compassion, no understanding. He gives no slack and deals with this folly in this very blunt and even mocking way as we look at the tone of these verses. So, what is the sluggard? The sluggard is the character named in the book of Proverbs who neglects his work. He has stuff to do. She has stuff to do. There are things calling out to be done but he, she, doesn't do them. Let's them just kind of pile up. There are lots of pictures of the sluggard in Proverbs. Um, let's go to Proverbs 24 and look at one of them. Proverbs 24 and verse 30. We're going to look at um, lots of different little pictures of the sluggard or the slothful person in Proverbs And some of them are really funny. This one is kind of sad. Proverbs 24.30. If you want to know what a sluggard is or what a sluggard does, it looks like this. I passed by a field, the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. Notice those two parallel ideas. The sluggard has this field. And Solomon says, I pass by his field this man who lacks sense. Sloth, laziness, equals lacking sense. Lacking the ability to perceive what needs to be done and and how it should be done and all of those kinds of things. So what does he see in this field? Verse 31, behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. So we get the picture here. This field is valuable. This is a source of wealth. It's also a source of very basic things like food. So we need to cultivate this field, right? It's fertile. It's got potential. There are good things going to come out of this. So if we get after it, there's a lot of opportunity that this field offers. But what's the condition of the field? Is it plowed? No. Is it cleared? Nope. Maybe some of it is. 
You might kind of get the picture of maybe a bit of it is plowed and the plow is just sort of stopped two-thirds of the way down one row. And, and it's the, the, the guy who has the field, this sluggard, is off eating a sandwich in the shade. And that's basically the condition of the thing. And so is, is it ready to go? No, it's covered with thorns, weeds overgrown, nettles are everywhere. Um, in Oregon, uh, where I spent some time where we were on vacation, one of the things you forget about are blackberry bushes. If you go up there, it's like kudzu. Uh, it'll take over everything. Some people hire goats just to keep the blackberry bushes at bay. They actually rent goats and, and eat the, the blackberry bushes and then the, the tin bucket and the corrugated roof that uh, is on the shed and then they send the, the goat away. But at least they kept the, the blackberry bushes at bay because if you don't keep after it, it's going to take over. And we understand that. So this, this sluggard has this field, this source of wealth and opportunity. And what's he doing with it? He's letting it grow weeds. It's just coming up thorns. He's not doing anything about it. And then there's a very important detail here. Its stone wall was broken down. We know exactly here in Chico what this is like. We've got stone walls all over the place. In past immigrants built the stone walls that you can see out in, uh, in rural areas and some of the outlying places around Chico, beautiful, amazing stone walls. But you can also see uh, there's, there's a place that I drive by on, on Bruce Road that still has one of those stone walls there, but you can see where the stones have been taken away, they've kind of been kicked around, kicked over, so part of the wall is there and part of the wall is just neglected. So what can happen if your stone wall is neglected? Your animals can get out and wrongdoers can get in. So you're not protecting your other assets and you're not protecting your field. Your animals can leave, the thieves can come in. So this guy has this amazing resource and not only is he not using it, he's not even keeping up the wall that would preserve all of his other livestock and all of his other assets and he's not keeping out the people who need to be kept out. This is a very bad situation. Now, if you're the guy sitting in the shade eating a sandwich and the plow is two-thirds the way down the row sitting out in the field, you look at all of this and it's 106 degrees out and you look at this mess and you're saying, there's all of that weeding I've got to do I've got to tear out all of those bushes that grew up that shouldn't be there. And that wall is totally broken down. I've got to go fix that. And, wow, how am I going to do all of this? I've got to get planting because it's planting time. You know what that's called? Stress. So the sluggard neglects what he has. By the way, uh, look at verse 32 before we go back to chapter 6. 
Then I saw and considered it. So this is Solomon walking along. He sees the condition of his field and he, he says, you know, as I think about it, some words that we recognize from chapter 6. He receives instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. All you have to do is nothing. That's all that's needed here. So go back to chapter 6, where those words first appear. He asks this question of the sluggard, verse 9. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? When's lunch break over for you? Uh, When we were on vacation, we watched the entire extended edition of the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah, it's good stuff. I love that scene where... Pippin is, is following Strider out into the wilderness and he says, well, it's time for a break. Doesn't he know about elevensies? What about second breakfast? What about all of these other things? And, you know, that's not what we're doing here. We're journeying. We're in danger. We're, at, we're out of here. We aren't stopping for nothing, whether you're a hobbit or not. Uh, so here's this guy... He's asleep, and Solomon asks rhetorically, how long are you going to lie there? When are you going to get up and do something about this? Verse 10, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Rest is very important to a a sluggard, like I was in high school. Because at 9.30 in the morning, when I've just you know, in the middle of maybe the second class of the day. I don't want to be there. I don't want to do this work. I know I'm just going to collect six more homework assignments throughout the day, and I'm resenting all of that, and I'm hungry. I need a break. I need to stop. I I want that period between the classes where we're supposed to go from one place to another, and I just want to zone. That's all I want to do, because I need out of this. This is not fair that I should be in this situation. That's the mentality of uh, this high school sluggard. And so Solomon comes back to that and says, okay, you want a break? A little break here, a little break there, a little folding of the hands to rest. Just keep doing it. All you got to do is rest. All you got to do is nothing before those nettles get higher and higher. The thorns get thicker and thicker and the wall gets broken down more and more and more. And you come out of that situation in what should have been an opportunity and all you're feeling is stress, anxiety, that nothing is happening that should be happening. Uh, So he says... A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. This is what we all want. Just a little more rest. Let me just sleep in a little longer. I wanted that this morning. Just a a little bit more. Here's the problem. Small patterns over time 
have big impacts. And that's what he talks about in verse 11. Poverty, after a little bit of resting, a lot of a little bit, poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So you establish this pattern of not really working until it's done. That's all you have to do to see these verses come true. All you have to do is not work until it's done. And you establish that pattern, and you do that a little bit every day, and then poverty comes upon you, want, difficulty, stress. And what Solomon is saying here is, the sluggard piles up stress the way he should be piling up savings. He's just storing up stress for himself. So in high school, I was a procrastinator. If it could be done, it could be done later. And so I would always choose to do it later. But you'll notice... um, Procrastinators like me, they're all driven by dread of actually engaging in that work. It's too hard anyway. I really don't want to do it. I resent being told to do it. So I'll do it later because it's not the top priority. And so that resentment, fear, and dread sits there and, and it, it drives your decision-making. Now, maybe you're at the point so far where you're saying, hey, cut this guy some slack. He's got issues. He's got fears. We're going to look at this uh, in coming weeks. The sluggard has many, many fears, deep-seated fears. And what's interesting about Solomon's response to this is he, he cuts him absolutely no slack whatsoever. No compassion. No. We, we would say today, can't you give some grace to this guy? And Solomon says, no, no, I can't, because weeds grow, and walls crumble, and opportunities slip by, and there is nothing I, Solomon, can do to stop that. That is the way this world works. There is no grace for this. Let me make what will maybe seem a very radical and unpleasant application. Churches get lazy because we want God to come and do the things in us that will lead to better things in our families, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our ministries, in our town. We want God just... God, just come and do it. We're so dependent on you, we can't do anything for ourselves. Now, there's a lot of truth to that. We are utterly dependent on the grace of God, and I wouldn't take anything away from that, as as we'll see in a few minutes. But the point is this. God made us to work. He made us to be fruitful and productive. And a lot of times what happens in churches 
is we kind of assume that the work of the ministry is some kind of miracle, and it's not. And I'm saying this to you because you get this. Bert uh, Thompson, one of our elders, has a, a phrase about this church. He says, this is a working church, and it is. And one of the things that you get so well is that if you put in the work, though it is too little, though it feels like it's not going to achieve everything that it needs to achieve, if we do the work that God has given us today, we will see his blessing. And it's not because he rewards work. It's because then we're partners and we're, we're engaged with the business that he is in. And so I just want to encourage you. You're doing well with this. And if you keep going with this, we are going to see the blessing of God. Uh, because there is wisdom in what you're doing in uh, engaging in a work, workmanlike way with the ministry. Let's look at wisdom. Let's back up. Solomon said to the sluggard, you need an example. You need somebody to follow to show you how this works so that you can get after this work in your field. You need to see what this looks like. Go to the ant, oh sluggard, the ant. God is going to tell us about a little creature he admires. He says, let me show you a little tiny guy and I made this little creature and I want to show you what she does, verse 6, so you can consider her ways and be wise. What does she do that God admires so much? Verse 7, she's diligent. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. No boss. No foreman. No one telling her what to do. She just sees what needs to be done and does it. Diligence is when you are self-directed. There's something that, that gets in gear inside of you and you say, this needs to be done right now by me. And so I am going to do that right now. It's when that kind of self-directed decision-making kicks in gear that God comes along and says, you're like the ant. That's what the ant does. The ant makes her own decisions. And by being inwardly directed, making her own decisions, she pursues what needs to be done at the moment when it needs to be done. Let me share with you something that changed my life. I was sitting in class and the teacher in high school was saying, Bueller, Bueller. I'm sitting there and it's, it's that scene. I mean, you got the drool and the whole thing. And I'm sitting there resenting it. How stupid is this? I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this stuff, all that stuff. I hate school. Gosh! 
And then it hit me. I keep thinking that this is their time. And that after I, I do their thing with their time, then I will have my time. Except I won't because they're claiming my time with their homework. See that mentality? Classic sluggard thinking. What hit me was, it's all my time. No one can decide what to do with this time right now but me. Do I need to listen to the teacher say, Bueller? No, I, I really don't. Do I need to sit between classes and zone? I really don't. Do I need a break? No, I actually do not. I could take out some of these assignments that are stacked up from earlier in the day, and I could actually start doing them between classes. And while all of this is going on and the the class preparation is taking up the first 10 minutes of the class hour, I could be doing work and getting it done. The mindless stuff, I'm not going to be writing papers. If it's fill in the blank, I'm going to fill in the blanks. But I'm going to get it done. Change my life. Because what started to happen was, I started with this change of heart toward what I was doing and toward the people who were giving it to me to do. With that change of heart, I started just doing it diligently And then, funny thing happened after school. I had more time because I was using my time better. What was it that changed that decision? It was actually a heart change in me. And it's not a coincidence that during these years, I was asking the Lord, reading Proverbs, reading James chapter 1, asking the Lord, give me wisdom. And I can pinpoint the moment when I first started to see this. It's all my time. But here's the thing I want you to see. Diligence didn't produce that. Heart change produced the diligence. Heart change toward the person saying, Bueller. That heart change changed my life. Because it meant that I began to look at the field of my time and say it's an opportunity. There's stuff that can be done here. Let's do it. Let's go for it. Um, Next thing that I notice about what Solomon says here about the wisdom of the ant, she's self-directed. And verse, uh, verse 8, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. What is this saying? She thinks seasonally. This is the right time to do this. It is the wrong time to take a break. It is the right time to get after this task. Um, Again, when I was in high school, my grandfather had a tree. Almond tree, 
he built all of uh, the subdivision that he built uh, in an old almond orchard, and so in his backyard was an almond tree. It was dying. And so he said, basically, we've got to take that tree out. It's time. The tree needs to go. This is the season where we take that tree out. Because if you leave that tree there, something bad's going to happen. A limb's going to drop on one of the grandkids, and the, you know we don't want any of that. So this is the season for taking out the tree. So what are we going to do? We're going to do it today. It was very interesting learning experience because when I got into his backyard to help him and, and I looked at that tree, I thought, there's no room to fall that tree. It's going to take out all kinds of things. How is he going to do it? Well, he just did it one limb at a time. Kind of aimed a limb over here and aimed a limb over there and just kept chopping until it was all down. Just broke it up into small parts and then the job was done. All we had to do was stack the thing. Um, but the, the thing about this is there is a season for all kinds of work. There is a season in your life for certain kinds of work. There's a season for student work. There's a season to be the employee, the grunt who gets things done. There's the season to be the boss, the leader. All of these seasons happen and they all have different kinds of work engaged with them. If we are sluggards, we look at the season that is imposed upon us because we don't control the seasons, do we? We look at that season and we say, well, I don't want to do that. I want to do something else. We look at winter and we say, I want to do the summer stuff in winter. So we'll go to Cabo or whatever. So the mentality of the sluggard is to look at the, the, to hear the knock of opportunity, as they say, and resent it. They say, I don't want that now. I wanted that back then. Or I want that three days from now. Or I want that ten years from now. I don't want it now. What are you doing, opportunity? Knocking on my door right now. I'm busy. Gosh. So, there's a season for the work, and what the ant does, and why the ant is wise, is the ant does the work in the season. The ant is the servant of the time. Here's, here's the thing that I find about stress in work. Stress is an urgency about the wrong things. Stress is the sluggard looking at the field and having a sense of urgency that his wall get built back up when it could have been maintained over weeks and months and years. That's stress. Stress is the sluggard looking at the field and saying, it's full of weeds. Now I have to clear all the weeds. And instead, when instead he should have had the urgency every day, do a little bit, do it here, do it there, but do the work in the season when it's supposed to be done. And what is required in order to get that sense of urgency? Heart change. It's that change inside of us that looks at the season, looks at the work, 
and says, yeah, it's pretty big, the stack's pretty tall, but you can only do one thing at a time. We're starting at the top, and we're going to work our way down. Yeah, the tree's too big for the backyard. We'll just cut it up one limb at a time. That's what we'll do. Uh, That kind of heart change is where Proverbs meets the gospel. Look with me at chapter 8, something we've looked at before. Just read this a little bit. Proverbs 8, 1. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in the front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. Remember, we looked at this. And she sings a song to capture everyone's attention. Here's the song. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. From my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips, and so forth. What is this wisdom Singing about heart change. Value what the word of God is is putting out there in your heart. Value the season of life you're in. Value the opportunity of a weed-infested field. Value it. Instead of looking at it as an imposition, look at it as the potential for new freedom, new growth, new fruitfulness, and dare I say it, new wealth. Because this is how God blesses us with opportunity. We're talking about work, but we're really talking about the heart. And we're really talking about the need for us to embrace the role that God has given us in life to receive it, and to look to him to bless. And so here are a couple of questions of evaluation. First, as you're working this week, ask yourself, while I'm doing this work, what future need am I trusting God for? See, God knows that we cannot provide everything that we need. We can't even provide very much. Who's the provider? Are we the provider or is God the provider? God is the provider. So with each bit of work each day, each weed-infested field, God is saying, here's what you need to do today, right now. This is the season you're in. Weed the field. Build up the wall. Go to it. And trust me for the future need that is in your mind. And that is called prudence in faith. We're looking ahead. We're seeing a need. And God is saying, trust me. I've given you this opportunity. Take it. Seize it. Make the most of it. And trust me 
for that need in the future? What is the need that you're trusting God for? Second question. Forgot what it was. While I'm working on this weedy field, what are God's purposes for this work? We're going to talk a lot more about this in the coming weeks, but I just want to get you thinking about your working life in this way. If you're pushing paper, what are God's purposes behind me getting this information right? Who is depending on this information? Who is affected by the accuracy of what I am doing? If it's digging ditches, if it's building stuff, if it's tearing stuff down, who is dependent on these things? And how is God glorified by you doing that work well, accurately, rightly, and in all of those ways? If you think this way, I think it will transform the way you view the work that you do, and it will take that stress that we look at when we see the stack of work that's too high and the clock that it doesn't have enough time on it. We'll look at that stress and we'll say, God's got this. Today, he's given this part to me, and I'm going to do it in faith. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are a people beset with many worries, many stresses. And so we call upon your name right now. I pray that you would give a change of heart, a softening wherever it is needed in this room. And maybe even that softening is the very first response of someone to your voice of saying, I hear you, Lord, I trust you, I know that you are my Savior, you have made me clean, and so I am going to get to work because you are good. I pray that you would bring out that kind of response in each one of us. I pray that it would be fruitful in the coming days and weeks. And we together ask you to glorify your name through the work that we do. And we pray that you would do it to give us joy and contentment and to give you glory. We pray it in your name and God's people said, Amen. Just going to check and see if we have questions here. It looks like... uh, one coming up. If you need to leave, uh, if this is your time, uh, go ahead. We're just going to take a moment uh, to uh, address some questions here. Uh, again, if you need to, um, if you need to text me a question, the number is on the screen right behind me. Okay. As an American, since I graduated from high school, or got my paycheck, or my tax return, or it's my birthday. Don't I deserve to get some kind of reward for just being me? Uh, That's wonderful. Because uh, the answer I'm supposed to give is, you are so special. You do deserve that reward. 
you do deserve a break today. I'm dating myself there. I've already done that with the whole Bueller thing. Um, here's the wisdom of God from Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. No, you don't. Because, we're going to talk about this, I think, next week. This world is fallen. The weeds are coming. They will not stop for you. The weeds do not respect your self-esteem. They just don't. So we got to get after it. Are there seasons for rest? Yes, we're going to talk about that too. God invented that. It's called the Sabbath. One of the most interesting things about our society, as stressed out as it is, we have no Sabbath because we're too greedy. We want to buy stuff from other people when they should be resting. And we want to make money from other people when we should be resting. So there's a balance here. God would say in response to this question, it's not a matter of deserving it. It's a matter of following the pattern that I laid down when I created the cosmos. And when I did that, I stopped on the ceasing day, the Sabbath day, because my work was done. You should do that too. You should build it into your life, a season uh, of Sabbath. I do this once a week. I can commend it to you. Um, The specific moment of insight you remember so well in high school, was it in math class? (laughs) No. A lot happened in math class. Math class was very eventful, but that uh, particular insight came in the middle of social studies where I was asking, how can you take so many fascinating things and transform them to be so boring? How is this done? What is the trick to this? I'm being very mean, but... Uh, I think some of you imagine that I just loved school. You're the pastor, so you must have just loved school, and I'm telling you, I didn't. Um, so, no, it was in social studies to answer that question. Thanks for pronouncing Amund correctly. <laughs> Good stuff. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. We need your grace. We need your power. Because we are about to leave this space, our meeting with you, and we are about to go back into the world, which is full of difficulty, and we are about to shoulder the trials of our lives. We pray that you would give us peace, comfort, joy, gratitude, knowing that you have the burdens Help us to roll them off our backs and onto you and do the day's work diligently. We pray that you would do this to glorify your name and in your name, God's people said, Amen. Amen.